0: Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic biblical community. That transforms our city and impacts the world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website, nbbctx.org. There you can find more information about who we are. Additional resources and links to our social media network. As well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, welcome to church, everybody. Isn't it great to be here? Look, the storms are gone, all right, and it is definitely sunshiny in here. Do you agree? Amen. Good. Well, so it's interesting. Every time that we have discussions about movies and things like that in our house, uh, there is a very clear divide. In our raising between my wife and myself, okay? I think I have mentioned uh, to some degree before in here, but see, my wife uh, grew up on fairy tales, and she just grew up on magical things. I mean, Disney is her best friend, and uh, Mary Poppins, and basically any black and white movie that ends well. You know what I'm talking about? All right, so there's absolutely nothing wrong with these movies, okay? There's just a difference because uh, my uh, memories of movies growing up were, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old was uh, like a movie like Rambo. All right, First Blood. I mean, this was a a guy's movie or Die Hard, okay? And uh, now I can kind of see the judgment in your eyes about this. But uh, so nonetheless, I kind of grew up with this idea of what, uh, like a man's man, like what is a tough guy? What does this really look like? All right. And so any of you, uh, I'm going to ask you, okay, so go ahead and think of the toughest guy that you can think of, movie, real life, whatever. Okay. Think about that person. All right? Now, I know some of you in the room, you're probably thinking about this guy right here. Some of you, I know you are. All right? Anybody, A team fans in the audience? Oh, yeah, Mr. T was the guy. All right? But uh, some of you may potentially be thinking about somebody, you know, like more real, okay, than Mr. T. Uh, But what about this guy? Come on, all right? Nolan Ryan, he is. He is a tough guy. All right. I mean, he is not going to back down from a fight. I mean, he's just standing there ready on the pitcher's mountain to take anybody. I think even to this day. All right. Or maybe you're thinking about this guy, Chuck Norris. <laughs> I know somebody in this room, being from Texas, I know you're thinking of the one and only Chuck Norris. The legend has it that one year he was out. Um, hunting um, out in West Texas, he gets bit by a rattlesnake. You know what happens? The rattlesnake died. That's exactly what. (laughs) Uh, But in all sincerity, we all have this understanding. By the way, that was a joke. Okay, I don't think that's really true. Okay, um, but we all have this understanding of what a tough guy really looks like. I mean, and and obviously we see this exemplified in the life of Jesus, right? Right? And it's not a bad thing to be tough. It's not a bad thing to be courageous and brave. These are good qualities to have. I mean, what, what does God tell uh, Joshua when he is uh, taking over as a leader for the Israelites? What does God tell him? He says, be courageous, right? He says, don't fear. He says, you don't have to be afraid. Take courage. Over and over again, we hear Jesus telling the disciples, he says, take heart, take courage, Right? We see this time and time again, and and Jesus obviously remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking through our Passion Week, and uh, we're looking at Jesus cleansing the temple. What does Jesus do? Does he just kind of stand idly by? As as People are acting rogue in the temple courts. No, he goes through, he's flipping tables. I mean, he's, he's taking a stand for uh, righteousness. He's taking a stand for, for godliness, and we see this. He stands up to the Pharisees time and time again. He has never been afraid of the Pharisees. He's never been afraid of any Jewish or, or uh, leaders of the day. I mean, this is who Jesus is. He's not fearful of man. But what's interesting is we kind of see a different side of Jesus when it comes to Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 32. But, but while you're turning there, I, I kind of want to set the scene a little bit. Because what, what we see is a different side of Jesus' humanity in this moment. We see a different side of, of, of the toughness or even the perception of the lack thereof, and what Jesus is exemplifying, what Jesus is showing in this moment. This is the the garden of Gethsemane, and this is what it says, starting in verse 32. It says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. All right, it says this in 34. And and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I mean, one of the first things that we see here is that maybe it appears that Jesus just looks weak in this moment. It appears that, that Jesus is not exemplifying or, and being an example of strength in this moment. He's not being a, an example of what it looks like to be courageous in the, in the, in the face of death, right? It doesn't look like he's, he's really being an example of what it looks like to be brave as he is looking upon his coming death. It's no surprise to us that Jesus realizes what is coming. He knows what is ahead, When you read a little bit further in Matthew, he says, uh, let's go so that they may take me. He says that to his disciples. It's not an unknown fact of what is going to be happening to Jesus. And so when we read about this, we're thinking um, potentially, well, well, then what is it? like? What is causing Jesus such agony? What is causing Jesus such distress in this moment? What is causing Jesus so much trouble in this moment? Because if you were to read throughout history, time and time again, if you... Um, Read uh, any examples through the book of martyrs or or anything like that, that we don't see what is happening to Jesus in this moment. I mean, you think about Stephen. He's one of the first martyrs in Acts chapter six. We we see this that, that because of the teachings of Stephen, that he is teaching the gospel of Jesus, he is teaching uh, the works of Jesus. And the leaders come against him, right? And they they come to stone him. And what is Stephen say what does Stephen say in the face of this persecution in 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 the face of this knowing death that is coming toward him he says Lord Jesus receive my spirit it doesn't look like fear to me it doesn't look like a lack of bravery it doesn't look like a lack of courage in our example from Stephen even in the midst of him dying in the midst of him being stoned he says Lord don't hold this against him He's even praying for them. It seems in contrast to our example from Jesus. You think of a man named Polycarp later in history who is known, history tells us, to be discipled by the apostle John himself. But, but Polycarp would refuse to burn incense for the leader of the day. He refused to do this. And so the Romans come at him. They, they take him from his home. He said, the Lord's will be done. That's what he says. And the Romans take him, and they say, because you refuse to burn incense, your sentence is going to be uh, to be burned alive at the stake. And you know what Polycarp's response is in this moment? He, he says this. He says, your fire lasts but a little while. The fires of judgment reserved for the ungodly cannot be quenched. You see, as per... Perception here, his perspective of, of eternity in this moment. Polycarp, while they are taking him, you know, it was it was kind of custom of the day. If you were going to burn someone at the stake, that they would nail him to they would nail the person to the pyre so that they cannot move once the flames start to touch them. And Polycarp tells him this: as they start to, to take the nails out. Polycarp says this, he says, leave me as I am. He says, for he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unmoved. Without security, you desire from nails. You you talk about courage in the face of death. You talk about bravery. But why is there such a stark contrast of what we see in the example of Jesus? Why is it that we see martyrs over and over again? There's a story of a martyr who who was being burned alive and essentially they place him on a big frying pan and then he looks up to the people who placed him there and he says, turn me over for I'm done on this side. What kind of psychopath is this or what kind of courage and bravery is he displaying in this moment? Another one being filleted alive. He says, you take my skin for today, I put on the skin of Jesus Christ. What type of courage and bravery does this take? And why do we see such a contrast in the bravery and courage in our example of Jesus? I mean, you compare these men, you compare these stories, and and guess what? These are only a couple of examples of several hundreds and thousands of people who have similar stories. And you look at the agony of Jesus. You look at almost this weakness or fear from Jesus in the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it begs the question, why? Why is there such a difference? Because Jesus says this in verses 33 and 34. He says, and he took with him Peter, James, and John. And what does it say? He began to be greatly distressed greatly distressed. And then he said, my soul is very sorrowful. And and listen, in the English language, in, in me even trying to paint a picture here, I will never come close to the agony that this passage is actually speaking of. What this means is that there is a shocking horror Something that has caused Jesus to collapse under the weight of this. Something that has caused Jesus to stagger. Something is causing this. The the closest I have personally seen that would even come close but doesn't compare. Maybe 10 or 11 years ago, I can't remember exactly when, but I was still um, serving as a firefighter. We got called out to a wreck. By the time that we got to the wreck scene, it was, it was obviously too late. And there was a young boy who had passed away in the car wreck. And, and that is horrific within itself, but, but the, the horror that continues to be in my mind of that night was the mom that came on the scene. When she found out that her son had passed away, and the scream that she screamed in that moment will never leave my brain. The, the weight of the news that she experienced literally caused her to tremble and collapse. This is shocking horror. And, and it's not even comparable to what Jesus was experiencing in this moment. It's nowhere close he was greatly distressed he was overcome with shocking horror in the gospel of luke we read that this is so shocking the agony is so great that luke tells us that that there was needed an angel the lord had sent an angel to come and minister to jesus just to keep him from dying that's why Jesus says unto death. He is about to die in this moment from the agony, from the pain, from the, what he was experiencing physically in this moment was causing him such agony that he was about to die and an angel comes and saves his life. Luke also describes this moment that, that because of the agony that Jesus trembles, he collapses as he is crying out to the Lord over and over again, let this cup pass. Let there be another way. Let there be another way. And the, the agony was so great that his sweat became like drops of blood. This is known as hematidrosis. This is an actual thing that, that under such distress that your capillaries actually burst This is what the Lord was experiencing in this moment. And here is Jesus. Jesus, who would be called Emmanuel, Jesus who is the King of kings, Jesus who is the Lord of lords, Jesus who who walked upon angry waves, Jesus who fed over 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and some fish, Jesus who healed people over and over again, who raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the Jesus who is in agony and in such pain in this moment, under such distress, and when we think about that, we think, well, man, it, Jesus was just thinking about the cross coming. And, you know, oftentimes when we come to Easter, when we come to thinking of the Passover week, this is where the majority of our emphasis kind of lies. We, we, we are looking at Jesus and we're looking at this scene with Gethsemane and we're thinking to ourselves, "Well, well, the physical suffering is overwhelming Jesus in this moment. Can I just remind you of a truth? Jesus is not afraid of a Roman cross. Jesus is not afraid of nails piercing his hands. Jesus is not afraid of the physical death. What Jesus was staring into was not a physical suffering, but a spiritual separation from God the Father. He is not scared of a Roman cross. No one has the power among humanity to cause Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords, and the King of kings, such distress. Don't give the Romans that credit. It was not the physical suffering. It was the spiritual separation that he was about to endure. You may think, yeah, but the physical suffering, I mean, this is what Jesus had to be thinking about. I mean, you read through Roman history, you read from Cicero, who is like a, a Roman historian who, who reads of, of just the depths of what type of pain a crucifixion would, would cause. That the, the, the goal of the Romans was complete humiliation, complete humiliation. It would be in a public place to where, where everybody could view this happening. And, and the pain was so excruciating that it would cause men to weep. It would cause men to vomit and to urinate on themselves. It was complete and utter humiliation. But this is not what the Lord was fearing. This is not what Jesus was afraid of. You see, when, when Jesus says, let this cup pass this gives us complete insight into what the agony was being caused by i mean you you read over and over he says remove this cup from me remove this cup from me never does jesus say god please save me from the romans Never does Jesus say, hey, save me from the cross. Don't let me go to the cross. God, don't let me do this. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, let this cup pass from me. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Look in Psalm chapter 75, verses six through eight. It'll be on the screen for you. It says this, for not from the east or from the west Not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one, lifting up another. For in the hand of Lord, there's what? A cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Isaiah 51, 17 says something similar. It says, wake yourself. Wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. In Gethsemane, this is what is happening to Jesus in this moment, that Jesus looked into the full cup of God's wrath, and it overwhelmed him so badly that it almost killed him in that moment. It was the abandonment of God that Jesus faced, not the Roman physical suffering. This is what Jesus was looking into. And that was the horror of the cross for Jesus. It is not the physical suffering, but the spiritual separation from God. William Lane He says this, who is a New Testament scholar. He says that the only explanation of of Jesus staggering, the only explanation of, of the agony in this moment is that God had already begun to turn his face away from his one and only son. This is the agony of Jesus. But why? Why would Jesus be willing to do this? Why would Jesus be willing to do this? Because it can't be for the approval of God. I mean, Jesus cannot go through this so that he may gain approval from God the Father. He already has it. He already has approval from God. He already has it. You remember on the day that Jesus was baptized, what does the Lord say about Jesus, his one and only son? He says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So it can't be for an approval. It can't be so that he could gain universal kingship. He already has that. Remember when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness? He says, if you just bow down to me, all of this is yours. But what did Satan not realize? It was already in the hand of Jesus. So it can't be for that. And so we have to think to ourselves, what, why would Jesus do this? Well, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that says, It is for what? The joy set before him. That is why he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Somehow, in this one moment, Jesus experienced the equivalent of an eternity in hell that belonged to us. So this is why Jesus went to the cross. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who was trying to give an example, who was trying to talk about the weight of God's wrath that was poured out on Jesus. And he described it as a a big dam breaking loose. And, and, And for us, we could imagine, I mean, standing in front of the Hoover Dam, I mean, you're standing in front, you're looking up at this huge wall that is separating you from the water, but all of a sudden, that dam breaks loose at one time, and every bit of that water rushes out at one time, and it is coming to overwhelm you, it is coming to overtake you, and then at the very last moment, the, the, the ground opens up its mouth and swallows every last drop of the water, and this Is what Jesus did for us you see when when Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples the night of his betrayal they're about to take the last supper together and here in a moment we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together but I want you to think about what is happening in the upper room. I want you to think about with with this picture in mind of what was taking place. Because he tells the disciples, right? He says, here, take this bread. This is my body that is going to be broken for you. He says, take this bread. This is an example of my body that is going to be crushed for your iniquities. That is going to be bruised for your transgressions. He says, This is what's going to happen. He's telling his disciples in this moment, He says, I am going to take the full wrath of God that belongs to you. And guess what? He didn't even exclude his betrayer. He says, I am going to be broken. For you. And so we kind of come to this understanding from Jesus that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's looking into the cup of God's wrath, he is looking at all of your sins, he is looking at all of my sins. He is looking at your life of every moment of lying, every moment of cheating, every moment of poor judgment, every moment of you not treating your spouse well, every moment of you not treating your kids with patience, every moment that that you are backstabbing your coworker, every moment that we are not exuding godliness, every moment that we are not living as Christ has called us to live, every moment that if it were to be flashed up on the screen, it would cause you to get under the chair. Every moment of miss in your life Every moment of my life, Jesus was staring at it into this cup. And he said, I'm going to be broken for that. I'm going to be crushed for that. This is why Jesus goes to the cross. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see what is happening here? There is a very strange, yet mysterious, yet profound, yet gracious dichotomy that is taking place on the cross because it is the moment where perfection meets sinfulness. It is the moment to where a perfect God is making a way for an imperfect humanity and the sinless become sinful so that you and I might stand before a holy God and be claimed as righteous. You see, this is what happens in this moment when Jesus drinks the cup of God's wrath. He says, I am going to drink this cup so that you don't have to This is the point. This is everything that happens in this moment is that Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that you and I may drink from the cup of salvation. The wrath of God that is due you and me has been satisfied by Jesus Christ himself. And so as they finish in the upper room, with his disciples and then they they take the bread and then jesus says here's the cup but what does jesus say he says this is the cup of my blood the new covenant which is being poured out for you You no jesus is saying this moment he's saying I am going to take the cup of God's wrath, but here you take, you take from me, you take the cup of perfection, you take the cup of salvation, you take the cup of redemption. because the cup of God's wrath has been satisfied. And in just a moment, as we take in the Lord's Supper, and we're thinking about the body that was crushed for us. The new cup that has been extended to you by God's grace. I am praying that we take the Lord's Supper differently today. And this is why we can't take it lightly. And I'm just going to ask of you in the room that Maybe you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe you have not been saved. And so what I would ask of you is that you would just simply observe during this time. But maybe the Lord is prompting you, no, I I want the cup. Maybe God is speaking you to right now and just saying to you that, hey, here is the free cup to you, the cup of redemption, the cup of God's grace, the cup of salvation, and you have never drank of it. The Lord is calling you to drink of it. Then, what I'd ask in in the time of response that you would come and you would talk with one of our pastors about what that means. And everyone else in the room, You you have been saved. You have taken the cup that has been extended to you. What I'm going to ask you to do here in a moment is I'm just going to ask that you will do whatever it takes, whatever posture the Lord is calling you to. You come to this altar. Come grab one of the hands of our pastors. Come pray with us. But you deal with whatever sin needs to be dealt with. You take this time seriously to cleanse your heart before you partake in the Lord's Supper. And so, whatever you need to do, however, you need to respond in this moment, I'm gonna ask you to do so. We also wanna do this, I want everybody in the room just to close your eyes just for a moment, just bow your head. And as you're contemplating, the gift of salvation, as you're contemplating what Jesus has done for you, and as you are asking the Lord to reveal the sins in your life, I just want to pray and, and read this psalm over you. Psalm 51, it says this: It says, "Have mercy on me, O God." What an opening statement from David. "Have mercy on me, O God." according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in, the tr- uh, in truth, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Listen to this. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. And listen, here it is. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Just pray that right now. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Just pray that where you are. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. And this is what we all deserve. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. This is our prayer. And I'm praying that for you in this moment that you would take this time and allow Jesus to purge your heart, to cleanse your heart. And so whatever you need to do in a moment when we start to sing, Come forward, take the hand of one of our pastors, come to this altar. You do what you need to do. Heavenly Father, we are asking Jesus by your spirit that you would help us understand the weight of our sin and cause us to understand better the weight of your grace that overcomes it. Jesus, thank you for taking the cup of God's wrath so that we may enjoy the cup of your salvation, and so God, may we never take this for granted, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.